Our speaker today is Ross Kilgore, and he's with the city. He's going to talk about land use bylaw, which might sound like a boring topic, but it really is quite important. And I think a lot of the people that don't show up to these things, they are probably really big critics of what land use bylaw is all about. So uh, it's quite an interesting process, I'm sure, and Ross will tell you all about it. So please welcome, give him a warm welcome to SACLA. Thanks, Knud. Okay, everyone, good afternoon. Just adjust the mic here, I'm a little bit tall. There we go. Uh, I hope you're all doing well. Thank you so much for having me here today to speak about this important topic. Um, you know, there's another name on there as well, Genesis Maleski, who's uh, the other project manager on this project with me. Um, she's currently on a beach in Australia somewhere, uh, lucky her. So um, you, you've just got me today, I'm afraid. But um, yeah, this is an important project, and uh, <coughs> so I'm really excited to have this this uh, uh, really exciting group uh, provide your your input and give us your questions on this as well. So, I'm going to give you a bit of a, an overview of this project. It is a big project that's going to last about three years, um, but then we'll get specifically into the current phase of the project, phase one, on social uses. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of engagement on that and we'll talk to you about what we've been up to so far, what the next steps are and so on. So the land use bylaw, some of you may be familiar uh, with this, uh, this bylaw, but for those who aren't, uh, the land use bylaw is really like the, the development rule book for the whole city. So it's, uh, it sets out all the zones or land use districts that the city has, um, all the different rules for each one. Um, you can see the zoning map here. Uh, and so in this map, every color represents a different land use district or zone. Um, so one of the most common ones is low density residential, which you'll probably have heard of. And so that's kind of a, a pale yellow color. It's hard to make out here on the size of uh, slide, but that it makes up something like, I think somewhere in the region of 75% of all of our um, residential areas in the city. Another district, for example, is downtown commercial, which is just located in the downtown. So most districts can be located anywhere in the city, but that one is, is specific to a particular geographic location. Uh, and then you'll, you'll notice in the, the northeast corner of the city, there's a lot of kind of purples and pinks. Those are, are industrial um, zones or industrial districts. So there's general industrial, heavy industrial, business industrial. Uh, and then the green colors you can probably make out are parks. So there's a, a park and recreation district. And so the land use bylaw establishes all these different zones or land use districts. Um, and it also has all the development regulations for the city. So all those details about things like what's the maximum height you can build to in a particular district, uh, what's the maximum residential density in terms of the number of dwelling units per hectare that you can build in different districts. Um, all of the uses that are allowed in each district, so uh, those can be permitted or discretionary. Uh, so for example, in the downtown commercial districts, you'll have per permitted uses like retail store, entertainment establishment, and so on. And then you'll have other ones that are discretionary, which may or may not be approved depending on uh, various factors. 
So the land use bylaw is obviously really important to our city in terms of um, where things can be built, um, redeveloped, existing buildings changed to different uses and things like that. So this is where the land use bylaw fits in in our sort of hierarchy of, of plans and regulations and, and acts. So at the top in the yellow you have the provincial level, um, so you've got the, the, the land use framework and the municipal government act and so on. Then you come down to <coughs> a sub-regional vision, um, which is in the, the darker blue colour there. So we have a, an inter-municipal uh, development plan with the county. And then in the, the bottom colour, the, the sort of lighter blue colour, that's at the city level. So that's where we, we work at the City of Lethbridge. So we have our municipal development plan at the top. That's a, a statutory plan that uh, looks at the city as a whole and, and what types of development should happen and, and where at sort of a really high level. And it also looks at uh, other aspects of the running of the city, like services and so on. And then you get down to that bottom level where the arrows are, and that's the, the land use bylaw lives down there. So that's really, a, the land use bylaw is a tool that implements those higher level uh, plans and policies like you would find in the municipal development plan. So the municipal development plan might talk about uh, more kind of high level, slightly more vague types of policies like, you know, we, su we would support uh, increasing density in existing neighbourhoods. But then once you get down to the land use bylaw, that's got the actual rules around that that you have to work with. So um, it helps us implement those higher level policies. <coughs> and so these are the, the six outcomes that are set in the MDP. So these are, again, very high level. These are the things that we want to achieve for the city. Uh, and certainly the, the land use bylaw is part of us being able to try and work towards these outcomes, like a well-designed city, for example. So the project has some really big implications for the community. Um, it can really contribute towards uh, social outcomes, um, tackling things like housing affordability, which has obviously become even more uh, uh, an important topic in the news this year since we started this project. Um, it can do that through things like uh, making it easier to build different types of housing that, that cost less. Uh, and it can also as part of phase one that I'll be talking about later, uh, assist us with social service provision, so making it easier to build facilities for social service provision. Uh, it can contribute to our economic development as well through um, making things easier for, for businesses, um, things like changes of use or, or trying to make older existing buildings work for newer businesses and so on. And then on the environmental side, it can certainly contribute through the way that our city is laid out, trying to make things more walkable, more easily accessible for all your daily needs, um, which can contribute to you know, cutting down on more environmentally impacting uh, forms of transportation. It can also have effects on the environment through things like landscaping rules, um, so things like low impact development where you try to you know, manage stormwater runoff and things like that as well can be controlled through regulations in the land use bylaw too. So the reason why we're, we're doing this project, um, we've, we've had our current land use bylaw uh, incrementally updated over the years many times is based on a land use bylaw that was originally created in 1986. So it's almost 40 years old, uh, and though it's been tweaked many times over the years, additional districts added, rules changed, and so on, we haven't really taken like a holistic view of its role and its function uh, since the 80s. So this is really a big opportunity to kind of take that step back, 
to almost start from scratch and kind of think about what's working, what's not working, what are people's visions for what they would like their, their community to be like in the future, their neighborhood to be like, uh, and try and write the regulations to, to get us towards that. So you can see that in, represented in the diagram on the on the right. Um, the idea here is that the the plant, the, the visible parts that are above ground, are the outcomes that we get from the rules in the land use bylaw. So even though most people in the community wouldn't know what the land use bylaw is, it really has a big impact on what you see. So the the rules in the land use bylaw are really like the roots of the plant. So so requirements like minimum parking. Uh, requirements, uh, the different residential districts, what you can build, what are allowable uses and so on. And then those outcomes that you get that are visible to everyone in the community are things like um, uh, housing affordability, uh, mobility, social use provision and so on. So the, this project really builds on the work that was in the Municipal Development Plan as well as different uh, inputs like the Social Services Integration Group uh, who made some recommendations on social service provision um, and as well as the Municipal Housing Strategy which is another city document that uh, identified what our housing needs were and how we could try and fill those gaps. So we launched this project uh, at the end of August. We started working at really the be beginning of the year, but there was a lot of work behind the scenes to get ready for the launch, um, research and so on, and setting up the project. So we launched at the end of August with this project website, which is getinvolvedlethbridge.ca slash LUB for land use bylaw. So you can go there, you can find a lot of information on the project. So. On the left, you can see the front cover of the, the project primary document, and that uh, really just sets out in more detail the background to the project, what the land use bylaw does, what we're going to do through the, the course of the project over the three years. You can also add your email address and sign up for updates. We send out a newsletter about once a month with project updates and what's coming next and how you can be involved. And there's a few different videos available there as well, which just kind of explain in a couple of minutes about the project, what land use bylaw is, um, and some, some personas as well to look at different people in Lethbridge and how they can be affected by the, the land use bylaw. These are the eight goals for the, the project, which uh, obviously the, the text will be too small for you to read, but um, those are climate resilience, regional economic growth, uh, meeting community needs, local economic growth, community well-being, uh, red tape reduction, appropriate regulation, and user-friendliness. So a couple of those I would I'd focus on. Um, the red tape reduction piece is quite big um, for, for people to get things done, whether that's you know providing different types of housing, uh, providing more housing more easily uh, to aid housing affordability. That's a big one we can do. So for example, currently, as I mentioned, the low-density residential district is the, the majority of our residential uh, zoning in the city, and that only allows single detached homes, and then it allows secondary suites as a discretionary use. So that means it can be, it may or may not be approved, and then even if it is approved, it can be appealed um, and, and turned down through appeal as well. So. For example, if we were to make it easier to build, say, duplexes or secondary suites, uh, that could uh, unlock more housing provision in the city. So that's just an example of, of red tape production. Um, also for, for businesses, let's say you're moving into a, a, an older building in the downtown, um, you may have issues providing the, the, the parking that's required. Um, you know, you may not have a lot of space left on, the, on your parcel to actually provide parking. So there's things like that we can look at as well 
to try and make sure that we're being flexible enough to, to get the outcomes that we want. And then on the user friendliness side, what we've found is that the current land use bylaw is, I think, somewhere near 300 pages. It's basically written in a very sort of legal language. And so even for relatively simple um, applications or inquiries from the public, you know, they'll call us up and they basically need us to, to kind of walk them through exactly what, what applies to them, what they want to do. Um, and that could be something relatively simple, like, uh, you know, adding an addition or something. Um, but you know that's that's using up kind of staff time and resources as well. If we were able to make this new land use bylaw more user friendly, more easy to understand, more diagrams and things, uh, we, we may find that that makes it easier for the public to use, and also cuts down on on city and staff resources as well. Um, so that's something we're going to be working on with the new land use bylaw that we want to produce at the end of this project. We've looked at a few great examples from other Alberta municipalities uh, where they've adopted a new land use bylaw in the last few years. And certainly there's some great examples out there of, of really just kind of simplifying things, making them easier to understand and to work with for the, the public. So we're excited about that. So this is our overall project timeline. Uh, as I mentioned, it's about a three-year project in total. So we started that earlier this year. Um, the first phase of the project is all focused on social uses, which I'll speak about in more detail in a second. That was because Council really directed us to focus on that piece as a priority and look at that first. And so we've, we've taken that out, even though we, for the rest of the project, we really want to look at everything together as more sort of a holistic look at the, how the community functions. Um, we've taken that social uses piece out to deal with uh, first on Council's direction. We'll then be uh, in quarter one of next year taking our recommendations to council on that, on social uses and whether or not uh, they want to make changes to the, the current land use bylaw. Then we'll move straight into phase two, which is looking at everything else except social uses. So, you know, residential uses, commercial, industrial, downtown, um, specific requirements like parking requirements, that'll all come in phase two. So that'll run through the rest of next year. Uh, then we'll go fairly quiet for a while as we're actually writing the new land use bylaw, which will be, you know, completely new from scratch. So we'll be working on that with our uh, legal services department. So um, making sure that we get it written correctly uh, first go from a legal perspective. Then we'll take that, in that, that draft new land use bylaw into a, a review period um, and bring it back out to the public again for everyone to, to take a look at and see what you think. Uh, we can then make tweaks and so on, perhaps go through a couple of rounds of that. And then finally, we'll take it to council for their decision process through a public hearing. So because it's a bylaw, um, it can only be approved by council through a vote, through a public hearing process. And so again, the public will be involved in the public hearing as well, where you can you know, write to council or speak to council uh, with your opinions about uh, the draft land use bylaw. So currently, we're just focused on that first phase on social uses. So I'll, I'll lead you through a bit more about that. <coughs> So we started this engagement uh, at the end of August when we launched the project. And really the, the, the question that we're trying to answer with all of the engagement on social uses is, is this, and if you can't read that at the back, I'll just read it out for you. How can the new land use bylaw help ensure that everyone in Lethbridge has appropriate housing for their needs and the option to access the social supports they need? 
And so really it's focused on those, those two pieces, either social service provision through things like uh, food banks, soup kitchens, resource centres, drop-in centres, as well as types of housing with a social support component. So for example, emergency shelters, supportive housing and group homes. Uh, those are the things that we're, we're looking at through this phase. So we created this document called Decoding Social Uses. Uh, it's the first in what's going to be a series of these. So throughout phase two next year, you'll see a bunch of these coming out on different topics. So there'll be, for example, decoding downtown or decoding uh, neighborhoods and so on. So this one uh, is, a, is a document that's on that uh, project page that I mentioned earlier. Um, you can download it and have a look through it. It's about, I think, about 37 pages, and it does a few things. We wanted to really be transparent with this project, and so all of the best practice uh, research that we did um, before the project launch, we, we really put into here. So we looked at other municipalities and what they've done um, ar around social uses, how they define them, uh, where they allow them and don't allow them, any other types of requirements they have. So we looked at a range of cities. Um, you know, some we looked at because they were in Alberta, so they're operating under the same municipal government act that we are. Uh, so we looked at you know Calgary and Edmonton, Medicine Hat, I think Red Deer as well. Uh, then we looked at some other Canadian cities based on either similar size to Lethbridge or you know just they had some sort of interesting approach. So uh, I think we looked at Kitchener, Toronto, um, and I think somewhere else in BC as well. So you can see in this document what they've done. One thing I'd point out is that they really, every municipality uses completely different definitions for these social uses. So we found it really hard to even find another municipality that defines food banks as a discrete use, uh, which I thought was quite interesting because here we have a food bank use definition. Um, and those, those use definitions are really important because that is how you set up where uses are allowed or not allowed, right? So whether they're permitted uses or discretionary uses. Um, some, some municipalities take, take a really sort of super kind of liberal approach where they have just very few use definitions and they're very broad. So for example, I think it was Beaumont, Alberta, just created a new land use bylaw um, and they just have this one use definition, human services, and that covers all types of social service provision um, and I think it's allowable in pretty much all their districts. So that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum would be kind of slicing and dicing up all these different things into very specific definitions and only allowing some of them in, in very few different uh, zones. So yeah, interesting to look at if, you're, if you want to know more about that. We also did a bunch of research on um, you know, the, the current situation in Lethbridge, uh, so looking at the municipal housing strategy and what, what it said about our shortfall in, in, in types of housing with social supports, like supportive housing is, is probably the, the, the most prominent one. Um, and, you know, that said, I think that was back in 20, 2018 or 2019, that strategy came out and said we had a shortage of 390 supportive housing um, units or beds um, and that we needed to add 30 per year. Uh, and certainly we haven't uh, done that. That's part of the, the driver, I think, behind um, Council wanting to focus on this as a priority is that it's just been really hard to get those types of uses approved under the current system. And so, you know, nothing's nothing's changing. 
we also looked at uh, in this document, you know, some of the some of the issues that people have raised with these types of uses as they've been proposed in the past. You know, why people have objected, and how we can try and address those uh, in the future. Uh, and so, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at this document on the the project site if you're if you'd like to know more. This uh, is a, a diagram from that document that uh, provides an overview of our current social use definitions in our current land use bylaw and where they're allowed currently in our uh, in our land use districts. So down the left we have a, a list of. Uh, land use districts where they're allowed and so you've got downtown commercial, general commercial and so on. Uh, along the top in the, the column headers we have the, the current social use definitions from the land use bylaw. So we have drop-in centres, food banks, group homes, resource centres, shelters, soup kitchens and supportive housing. And what the, the, the greenish dots mean is that they're a discretionary use in that district. And then the yellow dot with the P in it means permitted use. So that's the, the kind where it's uh, allowed by right and, and the, the application basically can't be refused as long as it meets all the requirements. So as you can see, basically every social use in Lethbridge currently is a discretionary use, which means it's harder to, to get it approved. Um, and even if it is approved, it can be appealed and then turned down on appeal. Uh, the, the only one that's a permitted use is uh, group homes in the low density flexible residential district and that, that district actually hasn't been used anywhere in Lethbridge yet, it's quite a new one that was added a few years ago, uh, designed for new neighbourhoods and it hasn't been used yet by any developers so uh, effectively uh, every social use in Lethbridge is currently discretionary. Um, one I would point out is the public building district, which is near the middle. Uh, there's a row there where you can see it's got a dot in every column. So the public building district allows all those different types of social uses as discretionary today. Um, public building is typically used for um, things like uh, schools, um, uh, obviously, uh, often religious assembly buildings as well. Um, and so, as you can imagine, schools typically aren't going to look to redevelop part of their land for um, some other type of use. So, again, that doesn't really come up very often as a, uh, a place where these things can be developed. Downtown commercials along the top. And so you can see that allows quite a few different uses currently as well. But again, as discretionary and, and you know, frequently these things can be applied for and, and turned down or appealed. As I mentioned, part of what we're looking at as well is, is housing with social support. So this diagram is really important and perhaps some of you are familiar with this. This is the, the housing continuum. Um, the, we're using the definitions here that the CMHC uses. And so you have really a spectrum of different types of housing. Starting on the left, you've got homelessness, emergency shelters, transitional housing, supportive housing, community or social housing, subsidized market rent, private market rent, and then on the right, you've got home ownership. And so the idea here is that um, people can move up or down this spectrum throughout their life uh, as their needs change. Uh, and so I would imagine, you know, most people in this room probably uh, are homeowners or have been at some point. You may have been private market renters uh, as well, or maybe you still are. Maybe some of you live in supportive housing or social housing. And so uh, 
the, the idea here that is that it's really kind of like stepping stones across a river. Um, so if you have you know, a series of stepping stones uh, where you can freely move across, then people can move up and down this uh, spectrum. However, if you have someone who gets stuck on one stepping stone because there isn't a next stepping stone to move to because there's no capacity, uh, then everyone else starts to back up behind them uh, and no one's making progress. So for example, if, if you've got people living in emergency shelters and they want to move out into you know, tr transitional or supportive housing, um, but there's no capacity available for them, then people back up behind them and, and perhaps can't even get into the shelter just because the, the capacity is full. So, what we need to try and do is ensure that we've got adequate capacity at each level of the, the housing continuum. Um, so really what we're looking at in phase one of this project is just the, the highlighted ones on the left with the, the line above them. So homelessness, uh, shelters, transitional or supportive housing, and community or social housing. Um, so we uh, will be talking about you know, private rental or, or ownership housing in phase two of the project. So we've done a whole bunch of different types of engagement through phase one of the project. We started off with a couple of online surveys when we launched at the end of August. One of them was just about people's engagement preferences for the project as a whole. Um, but the big one really was about uh, these social uses and people's experiences of them. Uh, you know, what have they used in the past or anyone they, they've, they've known has used in the past, different types of housing and, and services, um, and, and where people feel that these types of uses are best located in the city. So we had 832 of those surveys completed, which was really a, oh, sorry, question from Knud? Oh, five minutes, thanks. So 832 surveys, that's really uh, a very high number in my experience for the city, so we're really happy with that. It's certainly higher than I've seen on other, other projects. Um, we then had a series of uh, in-person workshops, so four two-hour workshops, uh, which people could sign up for. And that was just looking to get into those more in-depth conversations, um, rather than just the, you know, the survey provides kind of a surface level, uh, a bit of insight. So we had 49 people attend those. Um, we held a series of pop-up engagement events. So the idea was to try and meet people where they're at, rather than asking them to give up their free time and come to City Hall. So we went to um, a couple of different grocery stores, we went to the library on the west side, um, different senior centres, uh, the farmer's market, two powwows, so all these different types of places just to try and um, get people to chat with us for a few minutes, learn about the project, raise awareness of it, uh, ask them to fill out surveys. We also had a whole bunch of organisation meetings. I think we've had 14 today with a couple more uh, coming. So we, we do a similar setup to this where we present to an organisation on the project and get people's input that way and, and, and direct them to uh, the different engagement types as well. So the uh, one upcoming engagement opportunity that I'd really highlight for you guys is uh, November 15th, which is next Wednesday. We're going to be at CASA between 3.30pm and 7.30pm, and it's just a, an open house, come and go as you please, so you can come for you know 10 minutes or an hour, whatever you like. We'll have a, a bunch of boards with information there, and we'll be looking to get your, your input. So what we're going to do there is just... Uh, 
kind of present for the first time our, uh, our, our draft recommendations on social uses uh, that will be taken to council. And I say draft because at this stage it's really just saying, you know, here's what we've come up with based on what we've heard from the public, uh, the best practice research that we did. Uh, and we'll, we'll present that for public's feedback. Uh, and so you can see what we're thinking in terms of how we change our use definitions, where we allow them as permitted or discretionary uses, any other types of uh, regulations that we've come up with. Um, so I'd encourage you all to, c to come at some point next Wednesday and uh, take a look at those and give us your, your feedback. Uh, after that, we'll, we'll make any changes uh, to those recommendations and we'll be taking those to council uh, for a public hearing. It's looking like next March. And I'd encourage you to, again, sign up on the, the project website here for updates and we can email you and, and let you know when the public hearing is coming up as well. So that's where we're up to with the project so far and uh, that's the end of my presentation. So I'd just uh, love to hear any questions or comments or thoughts you have. Thank you. The question period is just coming up. I just uh, want to ma mention to people that uh, uh, it's a question period. It's not, you, know, you don't have to tell your life history when you're up here. <laughs> Uh, and please return to your seat when you, after you ask your question, because it just makes it easier for the presenter to look over the room instead of trying to look at you right there. Um, anything else I should announce? Yeah, next week's topic. We has, have a golden oldie presenter and she's even young. She's actually young, but she's presented a lot of times to SACPA. Her name is Melanie Thomas, and she's talking about balancing competing interests, how Albertans think about energy transition. That should be a very interesting session, so I encourage you to come next week. But in the meantime, come on up and ask your question. Thank you for your talk. My name is David Major. I, uh, when I walk around neighborhoods, I wonder who actually controls how a neighborhood is designed. For example, um, our neighborhoods seem to be dominated by a car in front. And I wonder why we couldn't have a neighborhood where a green space or a soccer field or something was the focus of the front of the house, but it seems like all we see is a garage. And I'm wondering, who has the most control, you or the developer? Thanks, that's a great question. Um, so really, it's, if, if we're talking about new greenfield neighborhoods where they're being developed for the first time um, by a developer, then it's, it's really a mixture of both. Um, so the, the land use bylaw certainly has uh, or can contain regulations about those types of things. So for example, uh, the, the number of parking stalls that are required off street, um, the, the minimum and maximum setbacks. So you could, if you didn't want, you know, driving 
uh, or a, a parking pad in front of the house, you could have a, a maximum front setback that was too short for a parking stall. I mean, you could even just straight up say that they're not allowed. Um, so certainly land use bylaw can do things like that. Uh, currently it doesn't. The, the RLF district, the low density flexible residential district that I mentioned, um, is a new one from a few years back that hasn't been used yet. That tried to start doing things like that, or at least making them possible. So um, for certain uses like townhomes, I think the maximum front setback was really short, like maybe four meters. So it wouldn't be enough for a stall, but it was trying to create that sort of pedestrian oriented um, built form. So you've got you know people coming and going in the fronts of buildings and then parking off the rear lane. Um, one of the issues can be that Putting in a rear lane obviously uses up more land, and so quite often developers uh, don't like that as much because um, they would rather provide more um, lots that they can sell rather than having an, a lane. Uh, and so then obviously if you don't have the rear lane, it's, it basically has to be front parking or you remove minimum parking requirements and then there doesn't have to be any off-street parking. Um, so there's different options there. Uh, Certainly that's something that we'll be looking at in phase two of the project when we get to more general look at housing and neighbourhoods. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to keep an eye on that. Um, but yeah, certainly for new for new greenfield neighbourhoods, the, the developer has a big uh, say over what that neighbourhood's going to look like uh, within the, the boundaries set by the land use bylaw. Hello, my name is Darlene McLean. Um, I did the online survey on the social uses, and yes, I did that question, where best located in the city for social uses. I've been doing these kind of surveys at least since the early 90s, and they usually inevitably slip in a question of that nature, and sometimes I'll even ask, where would you like to see multifamily, blah, 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 in town, north, south, west, whatever, and uh, so, um, I would like you to respond to what is the value of asking that question. Obviously, some of you lives on an acreage, Sunset Acres, Riverstone, or whatever. They're going to not say their neighborhood more so often than not, but maybe, maybe not. And anyways, um, uh, and what do you say to people that find that a bit of a politicized question and that might consider it uh, the city trafficking in divisiveness when they ask those sort of questions. Um, and because there seems to be a history of the rules, the ideas of the ruling class are usually the ideas that rule, is uh, if you follow uh, MPC and SDABs and who gets direct control and who doesn't have to have direct control and all this other sort of stuff. So again, basically if you could answer that, focusing on what's the value of that question. I know the Opportunity Lethbridge, uh, they have internal discussions and maybe that's valuable information for them. Uh, but at any rate, if you wouldn't mind addressing that. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Darlene. Um, so, the first part of the question about why we asked in the in the online survey, um, which places in Lethbridge do you think these types of social uses should be located? Um, 
the, the question is really designed to get people's thoughts and concerns about, you know, whether it's housing and social supports or social services, where they're best located, because that's a major part of what the land use bylaw does, is, is determines where these uses can be located. So with the, the diagram I showed you with all the permitted and discretionary uses in the table, Obviously, you could see that some districts allow uh, uses and, and, and some don't, like downtown commercial is, is one of the more permissive ones currently, public building. Um, so we wanted to, to hear what people's concerns are. Uh, and then you asked about um, uh, Opportunity Lethbridge. So Opportunity Lethbridge is a department within the city that's uh, essentially the city's land developer, um, so they, they do some land development in, in greenfield areas on the edge of the city. Uh, they're not involved in this project um, other than, you know, perhaps being consulted in the same way that other city departments would be. But this, uh, this project's run within planning and design department that I work in. Um, and I think you talked about divisiveness. Certainly, we're not looking to be divisive with this project. Um, on the contrary, we're looking to hear from you know a wide spectrum of folks about um, th their their vision for the way that city, city should develop in the future, um, specifically in phase one, obviously on social uses. One thing I think has been interesting through this public engagement is that uh, I think in the past, when social uses were proposed, something like supportive housing, for example, was proposed, um, you'd hear a lot of people saying, you know. We, we don't need this, we don't need this this use. Uh, that's not the case anymore. I think there's been a real shift this year where people are starting to be kind of fed up with the status quo and, and all the issues that we see on our streets and they want something done about it. And so what we heard pretty much universally through the public engagement was um, that something needs to change and whether, you know, a lot of the time still, as you said, people don't necessarily want things built close to them. They do want them created somewhere. And so that's kind of the tough part now about shifting from that public engagement to coming up with recommendations for actual changes is that, you know, pretty much uh, across the board we would hear people saying, yes, we need more of these types of uses, we need more supportive housing and um, whatever else. Um, but quite often it was, you know, just my neighbourhood's not the right place for it to go. So how do we kind of reconcile those two things and come up with some actual good locations for these uses? And that's what we're, we're working on right now. Okay. Fiona Jacobs. Um, I have two questions. Um, in your presentation, I heard transitional or supportive housing, which sends me the signal that you see them as equivalencies. And so if they're equivalencies, why do you have two, two things? Um, maybe you want to differentiate and explain that. And the second question is that in your slides, I was left with the impression that a lot of the engagement is with um, people who are maybe not the users of these social services. And so to what extent and how are you actually gathering information from the people who might actually be using these services? Um, when I listen to newscasts about homelessness and other things, there are some very articulate people that they managed to find to talk about these things. And so to what extent are you getting into that community to find out what they maybe think about the issue? 
Thank you. Great questions. Um, so the transitional versus supportive housing, uh, on the diagram I showed, that's the, the definitions that the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation uses. Um, currently in our, in our land use bylaw, we don't have a definition for transitional housing, so currently we just probably fit under our definition for supportive housing. Um, the way the CMHC defines it is uh, transitional housing is where the person living there probably has an end date where they're going to be leaving because they're there specifically to deal with some sort of issue, whether it's like a medical issue or, or a disability or something that they're going to be able to recover from and, and move into a different type of housing. Whereas supportive housing, uh, the way the CMHC defines it is more permanent. So it's, you know, you can live without these supports. Um, so that could be like uh, some type of seniors housing where you're not, you're not expected to get better and then kind of move out into rental housing or whatever else. Um, so yeah, currently we just have a definition for supportive housing, but um, that doesn't need to be the case in the future. When through these changes, we could look at splitting them up if that's something that you know has some sort of value to it. Um, and then, yes, you, you asked about uh, how we're reaching people that would typically use these types of services. So that was part of the reason we did the, the pop-up engagements, was to try and meet people where they're at, rather than asking them to give up their, their time or, or spend money to come uh, visit us at City Hall, for example. So we went to um, different grocery stores like No Frills and Walmart. We went to uh, uh, two food banks. Um, we had, had a, a session set up at the soup kitchen that had to get moved back, so we're still trying to rearrange that, um, but to meet with some people who use the soup kitchen. Um, we met with different organizations as well, like social service providers, um, to hear from their their expertise in terms of running these places, what the issues are. Um, and uh, we had a specific uh, indigenous uh, engagement workshop as well. Um, so for example, we met with the, the, the Aboriginal housing um, group. Uh, we presented to different uh, committees and, and boards and, and organizations and so on as well, like Reconciliation Lethbridge. Uh, um, so Yes, uh, that was the main way, was really doing the pop-up engagements and trying to meet people uh, where they're actually using the, the services. Hi, Barb Phillips. Thanks, Ross. A very good presentation, and I'm glad our city council and your group is focusing on the social issues first, because we all know last year, 452 were way over on the left there in that houseless category, and I'm sure it hasn't gone down. My question, though, is about a term which you hear lots of, so if you could comment on the term 15-minute cities, which as recently as last weekend at the UCP convention was like there were a whole lot of conspiracy theories about that term and it was poo-pooed and overwhelmingly people at that convention thought it was not a good idea. So your comments, thank you. Thank you for bringing up the hot button uh, question there. Um, Yes, I mean, the short answer is 15-Minute Cities isn't part of this project. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, 15-Minute uh, Cities is a concept that uh, was coined by, a, I think he was a planner, um, around about, I want to say, 2016. Um, and the idea was that uh, 
a 15-minute city would be one where you can access all of your daily needs within 15 minutes of where you live. Um, and I forget if he specifically said, you know, it was through, you know, walking or cycling or whatever, as opposed to driving 15 minutes. But uh, essentially, it was like a concept to try and capture all these different urban planning concepts in, in one sort of easy-to-understand phrase. You know, so it's about things like allowing kind of a mix of uses where people live so that you, you know you don't live in kind of a huge residential neighborhood that allows nothing except homes and then you have to travel a long way to get to like a commercial zone where there's shops and then you have to travel again to go to your kids to school and then you have to travel again to go to work in a you know industrial district or whatever so the i think the concept was really just about you know how can we make it easier for people to live in neighborhoods the way that they, they were in the past, where the expectation was that you could walk out your front door and, and, and go a block or two and, and get a coffee and buy a loaf of bread and stuff and you know walk home again. So that's what that concept was all about. Um, it's, not a co it's not a term that we've used at the city of Lethbridge uh, in the past, um, but I think it became controversial, as I understand it, because Somewhere during COVID, uh, I think it was Oxford in, in the UK, was working on creating these low traffic neighbourhoods, which are essentially where they will restrict certain intersections to to more vehicle traffic. So similar to like here, where in a lot of our newer neighbourhoods will have few entrances and exits to residential neighbourhoods, and so all the traffic's kind of funneled through these bigger intersections, and so that uh, kind of increases driving distances and stuff. And and I think what they were trying to do in the UK was, um, you know, make certain streets safer for people to to walk and cycle on, and 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 cut down on rat running where you know, someone who's uh, trying to get to their work or something and passing by this neighbourhood might cut through the neighbourhood and sort of speed down these little quiet streets and out the other side. So I think they were trying to cut down on, on things like that um, by closing off certain intersections. And somewhere in amongst COVID, this got mixed up with, like, um, ideas of, you know, the government controlling people and lockdowns and stuff and, and somehow it became this big conspiracy theory about... Uh, 15-minute cities are not going to allow you to leave your neighbourhood without a permit and, and and all this sort of stuff. So um, obviously that's not true, um, but uh, yeah, that's I think why it's become such a big topic that you've seen perhaps in the media. But yeah, it's not not part of this project. Uh, it's not a term that we've used uh, in any of our our planning activities. Thank you. Hi. Not quite as tall. Henning Wendell is my name. <clears throat> and maybe my question sort of follows along a little bit like this. But you indicated this land use bylaw came in in 86, so we've got 37 years. Are you planning forward for another 37 years uh, in this next bylaw? And there I'm thinking future looking, not necessarily what people through public engagement can give you, but what uh, what land use planners can conceptualize, we're coming into a world where there'll be more electric cars. I'm just using that as an example. Within 20, 30 years, we will have autonomous cars. We will need areas where they can charge while you're doing your work and, and so on. So I'm wondering what kind of this kind of future thinking uh, do you visualize and for what term? Thanks. 
Thank you. Um, so yeah, the, the, the current land use bylaw certainly has been updated uh, every few years over the past uh, uh, 37 years. Um, um, but it's more kind of tweaks or adding a new district or, or deleting something that's not being used anymore. Um, and so we, there's no kind of set time that this new land use bylaw would be designed for. Um, we, we'll try and design it to, to work the best that it can today and for what we see coming down the road. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I have no idea when it might be updated or, or completely started on again um, in the future. Uh, in terms of planning for the future, uh, yes, uh, certainly we'll be trying to make sure that it's flexible enough to work with different um, changes that, that we can't see or we can't anticipate coming. Um, I know there's this idea of, uh, you know, autonomous cars might really change things in the future. Fewer people may own cars and may just use kind of an autonomous vehicle service. Um, I think that's the kind of thing we can't really plan too much for at the moment in terms of land use, because land use tends to change much more slowly um, than, than that sort of technology does. Um, but certainly we, we just have to kind of adapt, I think, as, as things change. Um, it may be the case that people stu still do just want to own their own vehicle, and you know, even if it is autonomous. So we'll just have to wait and see how these things play out, I think. Uh, I know some cities have... Uh, had some rules in their land use bylaws or equivalent around things like electric vehicle charging. So uh, kind of pre-wiring new homes to have a, a charger in the garage, that type of thing. Um, so that's certainly something we could look at in phase two of this project for sure. Yeah. Hi Ross, Bev Mundell Atherstone. Thank you very much for coming. I, for one, found your talk riveting. Okay, um, as you know, I've been to council many times when you're bringing forth uh, bylaws, and I know that council in the past has used up a lot of time, and Lethbridge um, Housing Authority has had to come before council uh, on just minute changes where the number of houses they wanted to build in, in supportive housing or something um, just exceeded the bylaw by one or two persons, and this, you said, would be taken care of in your in this new bylaw upgrading. So um, commendations for doing that because that'll save time and money and uh, prison hours. My two questions have to do with the mandate. You mentioned that you would, you would ensure adequate capacity for shelters uh, as Barb, where are you Barb? mentioned, we know there's over 400 people um, seeking shelter, 400 people who are unhoused, and the shelter only has capacity for about 100 with other places in town, maybe another 20, 30, something like that. We only have places for about one third of the unhoused people in Lethbridge. So my first question relates to, is that your mandate? And how would you fulfill it? 
And the second question is also related to that housing continuum. You said that five, four years ago you were short 390 beds and that the um, mandate was to add 30 beds per year, which would mean that now we are in a further deficit of 120 beds. Uh, how could that happen when that was the mandate? And who is to fulfill that? And is that uh, taking place or is that in the future? Thank you, Ross. Thanks, Bev. Um, so, uh, community social development is a different department at the city who looks after um, funding of uh, different types of housing, social services for the city. Uh, so they. Um, the city owns the land that the shelter is on and community social development uh, oversees the, the lease agreement with the operator. Um, and so th through actions like that, either being the, the lease, hold, the, lease um, the landlord essentially, or providing grants, they have certain amounts of input into different types of social services in the, in the city. Um, so they work on things like, you know, expanding shelter capacity if it's needed, things like that. Um, the land use bylaw has uh, something to contribute in terms of whether it's um, possible at all to, to, to get something like that approved. So uh, if you wanted to open a new shelter, let's say, you would need to find land that's currently zoned for a land use district that allows shelter as an allowable use. Um, if if you can find one that was zoned that would allow shelter, you would have to apply to rezone it, that piece of land, to uh, something that does allow shelter. Um, if you get that rezoning through council, again, it's a bylaw, so it goes to council for a vote uh, through a public hearing. If that was approved by council, you'd then apply for your development permit. Um, and so there's a, a number of hoops to jump through that are all down to the land use bylaw regulations. Um, so the land use bylaw can, can make that easier or harder um, based on the rules in there. And so that's what we're trying to do through phase one of this project is look at how we can make things uh, easier. Um, once those rules, you know, assuming that, that they actually are passed by council uh, in quarter one, once those rules would be in place, then um, any operator, whether it's Lethbridge Housing or uh, the city itself or some other operator from, from out of town, uh, they can then use those rules to apply for, you know, whether they need a development permit or a rezoning or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's not really the mandate of this project to ensure that spaces are provided. That is, we're just looking at the rules that make that easier or harder. Um, so, we, for example, you mentioned Lethbridge Housing. Uh, you know, they had a, a rezoning that was passed by council uh, back in, uh, I think, July or something this year, and so that was for a new supportive housing uh, development on Stafford Drive North, um, and so that'll provide 30 supportive housing uh, units or beds. Uh, so that was approved. Um, but certainly over the last few years, we've had a, a number that have been turned down. So I think between, I think it was 2019 and 2022, looking at those full years, uh, I think we had one development permit application was approved out of 14, I think it was, and uh, zero out of three rezonings were approved. And so that kind of led to the, the impetus for, for this being looked at as a priority, because it's just 
the current rules just weren't or aren't working, I guess. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, I do think that we're starting to see a shift this year where there's more support for these types of developments happening, like we saw with Lethbridge Housing in this summer. Um, there was, for the first time I've ever seen, a majority at that public hearing spoke in favour of the supportive housing being approved. Um, you know, certainly there was a number of people spoke against as well, but there was uh, more than half were in favour. So, uh, I do think we're starting to see a shift there, where people are, are kind of fed up with the, the status quo and and the continuous issues that we're seeing on the streets and, and wanting something to, to to change to try and address that. This will be our last question, so come on up. Leona Jacobs. Um, with all due respect, I think you missed the point of my last question, which was how to engage directly with the people affected, not indirectly through organizations that work with them, okay? So just to clarify, clarify that. Um, but my question actually has to do with um, the recent development, and I know this isn't probably related directly, your, your little project isn't related directly to this, but the, the recent development with the federal government about changing the land use mm -hmm. to, in order to build more affordable housing, mm -hmm. or more housing of whatever sort, and how you see that playing out um, with established neighborhoods where people have bought into those neighborhoods with a certain set of expectations, and then what happens when those expectations change, or when, you, when the use changes and the expectations are no longer being met? Thanks, great question. Um, yes, I, I did understand what you meant with your, your first question. Uh, certainly when we did the pop-up engagements, we were meeting with people directly, like people who were using the food banks or um, uh, and, you know, other places. But um, we did want to meet with the organizations as well, just because sometimes they can have different insights in terms of the bigger trends that we're see they're seeing with their, um, their clients. Um, so the, the federal government has this housing accelerator fund that you've probably seen in the news where they, um, they open up to applications from municipalities across Canada to apply for billions of dollars in, in money for anything that would kind of speed up uh, housing provision, you know, open up to, to more affordable forms of housing and so on. And one of the big things we've seen come out of that so far is that, uh, the, first of all, they, they determined the applications for the, the larger municipalities, um, so, you know, the, our biggest cities. Uh, and in some cases, they were saying to them, we're not going to approve your application unless you end exclusionary zoning. And what, what exclusionary zoning means is, is this idea that if you're zoning large amounts of your residential areas for only you know, single detached homes, uh, only minimum lot sizes that are quite large, uh, things like that that raise the cost of housing, uh, then you're kind of excluding large parts of the population from being able to, to own a home um, or, or rent a home. Uh, so we saw that with uh, there was a few different municipalities, I think, I think Calgary, they said something like that, and essentially they gave them kind of minimum requirements that they were going to have to implement to to get these federal dollars. So it, for the bigger cities, I think it was something like, you know, you need to allow up to four homes on a parcel anywhere in the city, 
And so what that would do is, um, say if we did something like that, we would amend our land use bylaw to change all the residential districts to allow, you know, uses like, uh, you know, duplex, threeplex, fourplex uh, as being a permitted use on, on a parcel of land. Um, Having said that, there there are other rules that, that are still in there. So, for example, um, maximum densities, um, which are me measured in units per hectare. So, you look at the number of units. Let's say it's four units on a lot. Uh, you measure the the area of the parcel uh, in hectares, and you divide one by the other to get that that density. So, in our low density residential districts, there's a maximum density of uh, 25 units per hectare. Uh, and then you get into higher density districts and that number goes up, what's allowed. Um, and so there's there's kind of different things that, that may be allowed or not allowed there. Uh, what we've seen from the bigger cities is they've, I think, mostly been implementing these changes um, and getting the federal dollars. We, at the city, we applied for money as well. Uh, we haven't heard back on our application yet. I think they're going to be doing the, the mid-sized cities next, so we may hear this month uh, whether we're successful or not. And it'll be interesting to see whether the federal government um, has kind of lower thresholds for mid-sized cities, so they may say, you know, you have to allow up to two units on a lot across the city, for example. Um, you know, I'm just making that up as a hypothetical, but we'll just have to keep an eye out and see what they, they say when they start determining these applications. Uh, and even then, you know, again, that would be a bylaw change, so it would be up to City Council whether to do that or not. So they would vote on, on whether to make those changes, um, and they may just decide to, to leave the money. Um, and, uh, oh yes, you, you asked about um, people having kind of bought into a neighbourhood and with certain expectations and so on. Yeah, that's absolutely, a, you know, a, a continuous uh, concern that we hear and that we, we think about. Um, obviously, living in a city comes with continuous change as well that we were all familiar with from, from living here. Um, if a change was, was made, let's say, to allow four units on, a, on any parcel, uh, the amount of change that would happen depends on a lot of other factors as well. So whether that actually pencils out for a developer, whether it actually makes financial sense, um, you know, whether properties are for sale, um, if there's a market to, to buy or rent those properties if they're built. So all these factors play in as well, and so it's not something that results in kind of overnight change. Um, we've seen in the past, uh, for example, with the London Road neighbourhood where I live, um, there were policies in place for, I think, 30-odd years between the early 80s and the, the late 2010s uh, that allowed certain parts of the neighbourhood to densify. But again, a lot of places there we just saw almost no change because there just wasn't the desire to do so. You know, it takes someone who owns the property to want to actually redevelop. Um, you know, it's not something that just kind of happens because we change the rules. So uh, what the federal government's trying to do there, I think, is just make it possible for that to happen. And the idea is that over, you know, the next 10, 20 years or whatever, more housing will be created than would have otherwise. Um, I think I saw from BC just the other week there that they are looking at changing their rules at the provincial level so that uh, any property in BC can add a secondary suite if they want by right. Um, and I think in certain places they were saying that you could add up to, f or you could have up to four homes on a, on a parcel. Um, and their, their numbers, their prediction was that, that by 
2030, I think it was, that could add an extra 130,000 homes across the whole province. So it's, uh, you know, it's. It, in certain places, it, you would see more change because of that, because there was demand for it. You know, it was a place with high land values and really high development pressure. In other places, you just wouldn't see much change at all because the the numbers just don't make sense to redevelop for a fourplex or whatever, whatever you have you. Yeah. Unfortunately, I hear rumours that the province is uh, pushing back against federal money coming directly to the cities, but that's a different story. Before we give you a big round of applause, could, do we have a take-home message for the audience? Uh, the big tickle message is please to come to CASA next Wednesday, November 15th, anytime between 3.30 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. Uh, and we'll share you know, what we've heard throughout the, this phase one engagement. You can see what other people said, uh, and then you see what we're, we're thinking of recommending to council. So yeah, thanks very much for having me. Hope to see you next Wednesday.